0: everybody welcome once again to the everyday missionary podcast and this is episode 239 and it is a delayed episode of that and so last week was just kind of a crazy week lots of stuff was all going on simultaneously and there was no way in light of that that i was gonna be able to record a podcast so i just punted all right i'm like it's fourth down It's 15 yards back, just punt. I'm going to go to next week, call it good, right? So now we're back at it this week with the current episode. But as we do this current episode... I want to jump in the DeLorean with Doc Brown and go back to the previous episode for just a minute, touch base on something with that, and then leap forward into today's episode and an article that I read this week that just reminded me how critical it is for us to take Jesus seriously in all the nooks and crannies of our life. So that's kind of the plan. It's going to be like a two for one deal, right? Because I missed last week. Now you're getting a two for one this week. That's kind of the plan, all right? So uh, in going in the DeLorean and jumping back to the last episode, that whole thing was focused. On the difference between spirit living and checklisting, right? And and I talked about how like checklisting is just Christians tend to go, I just want to, again, have a catalog of everything I'm supposed to do, and if I do all of those things, that makes me a good Christian. So if I pray and I read and I have meditative times and I go to church and I serve and I'm a good moral person, then, then that's enough for me to really like be a deep, authentic, Christ ratcheted to Christian, right? Like that's enough, right? And I was saying. Well, maybe, but there's also a danger in checklisting in that you only just focus on being a checklist Christian, and that's very different than being truly spirit-saturated, walking in the spirit, seeking the spirit, having your mindset on the spirit, and it's the spirit-driven stuff that really empowers us, not the checklisting stuff. And so kind of walked through all of that, I had a friend of mine reach out, and they said, hey, I really appreciate it, but can you kind of fill in a blank for me, which is if I if I'm checklisting, can I use checklisting as like a path, like stones or waypoints to being a more spirit-led person? So I use those as training wheels to get me up to a place where then I have a spirit-led, spirit-minded life. And And I thought this was a great question. And so my answer to them, and I thought I would put it in here, is yes, but. In other words, yes, you could use the checklists as... Training wheels to a spirit endowed, spirit living life, but there's a risk in there. And so I'm gonna start with the but first and then I'm gonna get to the yes, all right? So here's the but. When we look uh, at the challenge between Jesus and the religious leaders of his day, uh, these people were awesome at checklists, right? They literally had a giant catalog called the Mishnah, which was, Mishnah is a word that means to build a hedge around something. So in this case, what like the Jewish tradition did is said, the law is precious. The law comes from God. The law is his words to us, Uh, and we want to make sure that we all know how to live out that law well, and so we'll come up with all of these applications from that law, and those applications will build a hedge around the law, a mishnah around the law, and from that we'll tell people, hey, do all these applications, and am I doing the applications you're doing what God prescribes in the law? That's how that was all born out, but eventually it becomes legalism, it becomes burdens too heavy to bear, as Jesus talks about, and and it becomes really problematic. And that's a good example about uh, how you can say checklists are helpful, but they can eventually become hurtful because then it's just more about I'm doing the deeds as opposed to these deeds are tools for me to go deeper into a life with God. And so legalism is always the danger of the checklists and a legalism that can be imposed on ourselves or a legalism that can be imposed on others. Like if they're not keeping the checklist that I keep, then they're less faithful than I am. And I'm faithful because I have the list, right? And that doesn't always work that way. In fact, when you think about the oddity of the religious leadership in Jesus's day, it's the oddity that he says, this is the worst of all the generations. So worse than all the idolatrous generations, worse than the time of the judges where people were just completely like, it was like spring break, Fort Lauderdale, reckless living kind of stuff, right? Uh, Jesus is like, even those people, even Sodom and Gomorrah, not as bad as you religious people in the first century with your checklists, Right but they were very moral with their checklists. They were very attuned to, they were praying multiple times a day. They would treat the scripture with great reverence. Uh, you know, again, they would, they would frequent their synagogue, which was their church for them faithfully. They would do the whole Sabbath keeping faithfully and their hearts were very far from God. Right. And that's the risk. And I know some will say, yeah, but the Holy Spirit hadn't shown up in the same way as he endows us. And so you know, their checklists were a little bit more doomed because they didn't have the Holy Spirit working in the context of the checklists. But we even see throughout the New Testament epistles, like in Galatians, for example, where they were still trying to do checklist living and Paul is like, the checklists are not the Holy Spirit. And he pounds that in Galatians pretty heavily. We see the same risk like in First Timothy chapter four, where people were creating all of these rules and laws and checklists that were very, very, moral in their appearance, but absolutely immoral when it came to the gospel. And that's where Paul actually says, those are doctrines of demons that you're teaching. You're not teaching freedom. You're not teaching faithfulness. You're not teaching thankfulness. You're teaching, uh, here's all the rules. And that gets in the way of spirit flourishing. So my thing is in saying, can we use then uh, the the checklist lifestyle as training wheels to spirit living? You can, provided that you're very aware that those are just tools to something deeper. And in that, what you want to do to see the, the waypoints of the checklist become a tool to spirit living, what you want to do is remember all of these things are, are to be uh, engaged with in humility, in dependency, and ultimately you're doing all of that because you're saying, God, I want to move beyond just the, the, the line item here. To this being true to my life because my life is rooted deeply in you. My life is rooted in asking the Holy Spirit to be moving in and through my life. And so, with that, it's like when you sit down to maybe do a quiet time or a devotional or whatever terminology you like to use, that you start with prayer. And the prayer is, Holy Spirit, what do you want to teach me here today? What do you want to work on? in me here today? What lesson is it that you want me to wrestle with and grapple with and from that emerge on the other side more in alignment with you, more aware of my need to depend on you? Because what is true to the Christian life, to really do it the way Jesus articulates it, you have to be endowed by spirit power. You just have to. It's too counterintuitive for us to white knuckle it in the kind of uh, self-determined spirit, right? This is what I love about the fruit of the spirit that gives this whole beautiful list. And the last thing is self-control. In other words, it's not like the, the Christian life. If I try to live the Christian life in my own self-control, I'm going to fail pretty radically And I'm gonna fail in any number of ways. Either I don't live it out or I'm super judgmental toward others who I think they're not living it out, right? So my poop doesn't stink as much as everybody else's. That's gonna be part of my problem. Or I just fail a lot and then I'm frustrated and I'm beat down and it just feels like, no, this is burdens too heavy to bear. Or maybe a third one is we just water down all the expectations that Jesus has for us. Or maybe another one is that we go, no, we're gonna focus just on the moral rules, the ones that I'm really good at keeping and then I'm gonna hold the world accountable to those things, all of that is like the problem here, right? All of that is the danger of the checklists. And that's why religion had so much problems. They were hypocritical even with their checklist. Some of the things they're really good at and they emphasize those and the things that they're bad at, they kind of minimize those. And Jesus is like, no, this is not what I'm doing. This is not my kingdom. This is not my way. This is not what God's plan is. This is not how we bring flourishing to the world. And so from that, lists can be a tool, but you got to make sure they stay a tool that leads you into dependency, And lead you into a a constant prayerfulness of, of God. Help me. Uh, to, to enter into a space where these things are organic. I hunger for them and they develop in me real humility and authentic kingdom, like obedience. All right. Because that's much of what the spirit life element is all about. It's kingdom minded obedience. It's actually saying, I want to be in a space that the spirit has empowered me with self-discipline to then from that do the things that Jesus outlines in For example, the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain or his definition of love or Paul's definition given to him by the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 13, that we would embody those kinds of things in an organic and natural way. And the only way that's going to happen is it's less of us and more of him because there's something I'm increasingly um, confronted by uh, when I look at the life of Jesus and look at the expectations that he has for us. And, and it doesn't seem that the expectation is anything other than that we are incredibly humble and incredibly servant-oriented, that it's others before us. It's I want to be the least of the least. I'm going to take the worst seat at the table, so to speak, because in that it's being like Jesus. In fact, even this week, I'm looking at the, the last supper in the Gospel of Luke, and I was personally shocked by how much there was just elements in there that resonated with me in ways that I had not really thought about before and just how radical it is that he's emphasizing uh, the type of servanthood that he is in that final scene. In fact, if you listen to this before Sunday, this is a freebie. Or if you don't happen to you know, listen to our stuff on Sundays, maybe you're someplace else and you just listen to the podcast. But when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, the, the grammar that is in there, we tend to go, okay, eat this piece of bread and remember what Jesus did. That's there. I'm not going to say it's not there, but the deeper nuance that's there is here he is. And he is he should be the guest of honor at this final meal. And instead he's the ultimate servant at the meal, right? You look at the gospel of John, he's washing everybody's feet. He's playing the role of the servant. And even here, he's breaking the bread. He's passing it out to everybody. He's functioning in the role of the servant. And when he says, do this in remembrance of me... It's both take the bread in remembrance, but it's also be a servant in remembrance of me. Take the posture of the least, not the greatest. Take the posture of others before you. That is how you do things in remembrance of me. And so our our servant-oriented life is to be a tribute to the servanthood of Christ that we see throughout the gospels. And that is the essence of kingdom living. And that requires a spirit oriented life because only the Holy Spirit can deal with our ego and our pride and our self-indulgence and our sense of entitlement and our protectiveness and our demanding spirits and everything else. Like that's just in us in, in, in full measure, we're good at that stuff. We're good at that stuff in our marriages, our parenting, at work, in our leisurely time, whatever it is, it's easy to put me before others, It's tougher to put others before me, and I think that's why spirit empowerment is so critical and why then the fruit of the spirit is what those things are, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, long-suffering, self-control, like all that stuff is designed to make it possible for me to then put others before me and fulfill that whole spirit-led life, all right? So checklists can't get you there. Only the spirit can, but checklists can lead you to the spirit if you're doing the checklist because you want more of the Holy Spirit. But if it's just like, no, I got to get this stuff done. Good Christians do these things and you're just pounding them out and saying, hey, I fulfilled the list. I feel good about myself because I did the list. That's not the right space to be in. Again, the list is to remind us of our inability to do the list. It's like God gave 613 laws in the Old Testament to just prove you can't do them. And from that, to just throw your life on God and humility and dependence. And then from that, he can develop in you true holiness, which again, what is functional holiness on this podcast? Love displayed and mercy and justness, love with affection and commitment. That's what we do where we want fairness and uh, just the, the bestowing of care on the people around us. That's true holiness displayed. And only the Holy Spirit can do that holy thing in us so that we can be holy in the world toward others. All right. So that's the revisit to the previous podcast, but that does lead me into today's podcast and the topic of today's podcast, which is an article I posted on social media this week that was uh, all about the Together for the Gospel conference that was in Louisville, not Louisville, Louisville. Um, I've been scolded about that one before, but in Louisville. uh, And it was a big conference. I think it might be one of the last ones Together for the Gospels doing. That's Mark Dever has kind of put that together. uh, Capitol Hill Baptist Church uh, had a lot of big speakers at it, like David Platt and John Piper, everything else. And so 12,000 Christian leaders descended on Louisville Louisville for a couple of days to go to this conference. And during the conference, there was a couple of guys that went out and started interacting with and just asking questions of the various people that were working at restaurants or coffee shops or, you know, just the, the the kind of the infrastructure that all these leaders would tap into while they were at this conference. And so the question they had was basically, hey, you just had 12,000 people who really take the Bible seriously because the Together for the Gospel Conference is a more conservative kind of conference. It's very Southern Baptist oriented as far as some of the leaders that are there. And it's saying, hey, we think the Bible is the word of God. It's inspired and inerrant and God holds us accountable to it. Therefore, downtown Louisville, did you experience 12,000 empowered people who are living out the book that they proclaim and go into this conference for? And the results were kind of sad, right? So like baristas were like, these people were rude. Uh, Southern Baptists are the worst. Uh, Some of the restaurants were like, they just left everything kind of a crazy mess. Uh, At best, it was like, they weren't terrible, but you know, it there was nothing memorable about it necessarily. And so the best commentary they got was neutral and the worst commentary they got was rude, demanding, uh, you know, messy, whatever else. And and it made me think like, you know, we as Christians should be like, like the boy scout motto that we leave a place better than we found it. And so that kind of raised the question for me, did Louisville, did it Did it find that this group of 12,000 people, when they left, they went, we, that was, we're better for it. That was a better experience for us. I'm glad those 12,000 Christians showed up in our community for a few days because man, that just, that brought up the level of everything just a bit. And the reality was, no, it didn't. In fact, it left a lot of people with a bad taste in their mouth about Christian leaders and the Christian religion, and particularly something that sounds and looks Southern Baptist and takes the Bible seriously, that there wasn't any Uh, aroma of Christ, I think is what the author of the article said. No aroma of Christ. And I was thinking about that in relationship to then the everyday missionary and how critical it is that we have to begin to embrace that Jesus informs every area of life and informs it by what I was just talking about, this idea of servanthood. That every environment we find ourselves in, we aren't coming to that as the patron, chiefly. We're not coming to that as the purchaser. We're not coming to that as the person with the money that's getting a service. And therefore, with the service, we can make demands, have expectations. We don't have to go all in on this Jesus thing when it's me laying down some good hold good old cash for the item or coffee or food or whatever. No, we need to enter all of those spaces still with the mindset of Jesus, which is I'm here to serve. Even as I'm buying coffee, I'm here to serve. Even as I'm ordering food, I'm here to serve. Even as I'm getting an Uber, I'm here to serve. Even as I'm interacting with my, you know, hotel manager over a situation with my room that Everything that we do, we want to drive through the filter of how would Jesus do this, right? Because here's the thing. I think sometimes we think, well, if I'm not actually wearing a t-shirt that says I follow Jesus, you know, therefore it's not, it's not an evangelism moment, then I'm allowed to just kind of be myself and not think like Jesus, that is flawed and faulty thinking. I think that's, that's sinful thinking. I think that's the stuff that so often got religion in trouble with Jesus in the gospels, right? They thought there was the time that they were on and the time that they were off and, and that's not the way it works. And they put themselves ahead of others and that's not the way it works, right? So when I go out to a restaurant, the person that is coming and taking my order, you ready? They're not my server. They're not my server right? If anything, they're 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 doing something that I get to benefit from, but I want to look at that and say, how do I serve this person that's called a server, right? H- how do I make their day brighter and better? How do I bring flourishing to their environment? Let's say they mess up, big mistake, screw up my meal, whatever it is. How do I respond in such a way that they go, you know what? I'm glad I screwed up with that person's meal because they made my day even in light of my screw up, right? That's the way you want it to be. You order a coffee. It's the wrong thing. You want to go up to the counter and you want to deal with it in such a way that they go, you know what? That person is a good person. That's good people right there. You may not share Jesus in that. You may not have a gospel opportunity in that, but you're bringing flourishing to the world. And this is the part I think is so important. I think one of the weaknesses, of some of our Protestant vision or our evangelical vision is that we make kind of the the majority of stuff the load is on, see people saved through the gospel to move from spiritual death to spiritual life. And that's like the primary goal and purpose for why we're here. I I agree that it's one of the goals, but it's not the only goal. And and here's why I say that. I know some people right now, your lights are all flashing on your dash. Like, what do you mean? The gospel is the only goal. Not according to the Bible, it's not. So I take us back to Paul in Galatians chapter three. He says, God preached the gospel way back in time to Abraham. And what he preached to Abraham as the gospel Is that all the nations would be blessed, made happy by the lineage of Abraham, by the nation of Israel, what eventually leads up to the Christ and the kingdom, the expansion of the kingdom in the world, like all of that is the gospel. And when you think about it in those terms, then bringing flourishing to the world around you is as much our responsibility as sharing the gospel with the world around us because they're intertwined. Right, So the flourishing of everyday life is intertwined with this message of restoration because that's what Jesus' goal is, not just to make souls new, but all things new. And so our marching orders are the same. We're not just to see people's souls made new. We're trying to see all things made new. And that comes down to how we carry yourself, how we sound, how we interact with others, that we are looking at ourselves and saying, Jesus, I want to be just like you, which is instead of being the guest of honor at the table, I'm going to wash the feet, serve the bread and say, all right, want to do this in remembrance of him. I want to be like him in those things. And we can do that in every space, right? So you're getting your car fixed. And you're dealing with a difficult mechanic or whatever else. Again, in that moment, you can be like, I'm going to double down and I'm going to be difficult with them. But that's not how Jesus would do it. Now, I'm not talking about being pushed over and pushed around. What I'm talking about is being pleasant, being nice, being helpful, being good. Or when you're a jerk, apologizing for it. I went through this one recently. So just personal testimony. I had to make a call to a company. Uh, They were making mistakes on something with my stuff. And so I get on the phone, and it's kind of the, like, they're just dug in. They're not going to be very helpful for me. So I start getting kind of pushy and demanding and everything else. And I'm just full-on, just like, sin mat comes out on full display as far as I'm getting frustrated. And you got to understand, for me, frustration is probably not the same as others. I don't have a big temperament problem. I don't get yelly, angry-ish, verbose, anything like that. But I I get a little tense, right? My salsa level goes up. And I realized, and I stopped, and I said, can I just tell you, I, will you forgive me? Like, so I'm dealing with this lady on the phone who wasn't, didn't start off pleasant. Uh, therefore, I turned into somebody not pleasant. And then I said, I, I just want to stop. That was rude of me. You're doing your job. I understand your hands are tied. I'm not faulting you for this. And I was out of line to do that, right? And then she just instantly was like, you know what? Nobody's ever said that to me <laughs> over the phone on issues like this before. And she's like, thank you for that. Now, at that point, did I say, now, can I tell you what led me to say that? Well, I follow Jesus and you should follow Jesus too. Now I didn't go down that road. I guess I could have, but I didn't. But, but my point is, we don't have to make it always like, I'm, I'm only going to be pleasant if I then throw Jesus's name in the equation. No, I'm being pleasant because Jesus's life is in my person, because Jesus's mission is my goal, because Jesus's words are what I want to live by. And that's how the kingdom brings flourishing. See, I'm a big advocate of John 3.16 and 3.17, right? 3.16, we all love. 3.17 says he didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but rather that the world would be saved through him. And, and, and there's a lot of directions that can go, but for me personally, there's a couple of things about that. One, I think that's a promise. I don't think that's a wish. I think he's actually going to save the world. That's a much larger conversation for a different podcast, but I really believe that over 2000 years, we've seen the gospel transform the world and will continue to do that. And his mission is to save the world. I really believe that's what his mission is, right? It's this ongoing, unfolding, progressive vision, but that's what it's doing. The other part of that is to save all the little aspects of this world. And it's by us being servants to all the aspects of this world because that shows Jesus in all the aspects of the world. And so that's the challenge for you and I as everyday missionaries then, that, that when we set out in our day, we're saying, you know what? I want to be the most life-giving, the most pleasant, the most non-reactive, or if I react, the most quickly apologizing person. I want to make sure that I make other people's days better because I interacted with them. On their worst day, I want to be the best person they interact with. On their best day, I want to be the best person they interact with. I want to bring Jesus's attitude to everything. I think about his self-description. He is gentle and lowly and you will find rest for your souls. That's how we're to be everyday missionaries in all these little contexts, right? We want people to go, man, that person was a little bit of rest for me. Instead of that person was extra work for me. That person was a burden for me. That person made my life more difficult because they entered into my life than they made my life a little bit better. That is pretty, I I think that's a, a simple concept to operate off of. I don't think it's necessarily easy, but it's simple. right, at the checkout line with your checker, be pleasant, be upbeat. Be helpful, be nice. If there's a price problem, just say, hey, can I ask about that? Oh, that's a little confusing. Can you check into that? And if they show that you were in air about the price, then you go like, man, my bad, totally cool. Thank you for checking in on that. If they were wrong, say, thank you so much. Man, that really helps me out. Like, this is not rocket science at all. This is kindergarten homework, all right? Kindergarten stuff. But I bring it back to, then the previous topic, it takes spirit living. It actually takes saying, it's important to me to act like Jesus. To, to, to actually say, I'm going to put him at, at the forefront of my actions and reactions in the daily affairs of life, because all that stuff matters, right? It all matters because here's the thing, like in the article, 12,000 people that again, claim to take the Bible seriously, believe in the spirit led life, made a place worse for wear by showing up, right? That's bad. And it's especially bad because it's 12,000 people that lead churches, 12,000 people that are the tone setters for the Christian experience in the United States and 12,000 people that you would think would be on their best behavior together, trying to one up one another on holiness, right? Like you'd think like they'd all be at a table, like I got to be the godliest guy at the table because I don't want to look like I'm the least godly guy at the table. And for all of that, the downtown area of Louisville said, maybe do a conference someplace else next time. That would be terrific, right? That would really help us a ton that's tragic. I've heard the same thing from people that work at Starbucks and people that work at restaurants on Sundays where they're like, Oh, Sunday is the worst. The people coming through the drive through to get their coffee on their way to church, the worst. Um, matter of fact, some of them joke that they spike it with decaf just to be spiteful because the people are rude on the the intercom or whatever else. I'm like, that's funny. Just give them decaf. That's payback, man. That's an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth and earthly standards. Right? So, or restaurants where they're like, Christians are terrible tippers. You know, they like all, they all come in after church and they don't tip well and they leave a big mess and they're, they're just not the most pleasant people to deal with. Like all of that sends a message to a lost world and it's not a Jesus message. It's just, we're entitled, you know, we're, we're evangelicals. We've been on top for a while. We're a bit entitled. We do our own thing. That's not Jesus. See, and so I encourage all of us, right? This is where I want to remind us of the encouragement in this. This is, this is pretty easy stuff to do if you lean into the spirit. This is not hard stuff. This is, like I said, kindergarten homework where I go, okay, in every environment, I'm bringing Jesus. In every environment, I want to be like Jesus. In every problem, I want to respond like Jesus. And I want to do all of this in remembrance of him because he was gentle, lowly, and a servant who said the best seat in heaven is reserved for those who take the lowest seat on earth. And I believe the more we as Christians do that, the more we will be effective everyday missionaries.